Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Good morning and happy Sabbath. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to invite you to go to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. There he is. He is alone. He is by himself. He's probably somewhere in the forest, somewhere by some trees. And as he's walking, he's, his mind is racing and he can hear maybe a little bit in the distance what sounds like footsteps crushing on some leaves. And as his mind is racing and his heart starts to beat, he's nervous. He turns around to look over both shoulders to see if someone's been following him, only to see that there is nobody there. And at this point, he pauses, catches a deep breath, and he decides, well, I guess it was just my mind playing tricks on me. And so he continues, and this, this, this cycle repeats itself several times in the night. As he's there alone, isolated, he's isolated himself from everyone. And he's there to wrestle with decisions that he's made in the past. Decisions that now have led to a personal crisis in his life that is now threatening to affect his entire family. It's in this moment that he's wrestling with guilt and shame and feelings of condemnation. Yet at the same time, his mind is reaching out in prayer to God, the God that showed up in Bethel, that gave him the covenant promise. What is he going to do? As at that very moment, he feared that his life and the life of his family was in danger. He has found himself now in a personal crisis of his own making. We pull back from the scene, and off in the distance, we see the silhouette of a mysterious man walking in Jacob's direction. This man, as he's approaching, we look and we see that his face reveals a a countenance of kindness and reassurance. And so as he gets close enough to place his hand forward and reach on the shoulder of Jacob, he reaches his hand forward to place his hand on Jacob's shoulder as someone would with a friend. But Jacob, as he feels this strong hand rest upon his shoulder, is triggered in the moment. He realizes his worst fear. He was not, in fact, alone. See, in that moment, his mind is racing again because he he knows that at that very moment, his brother, his twin brother, Esau, is on the way with 400 armed men. And he feels the weight of guilt because of what he did to his brother many years ago, how he wronged him in stealing his birthright from him. And so when this strong arm is placed on 
his shoulder. He immediately flinches and turns around because he's triggered, immediately thinking, man, this could possibly be Esau. This could maybe be one of his men. And he turns around, and this, this mysterious man that's standing there receives a punch in the stomach from Jacob. As this man receives the blow, rises up, he realizes. He realizes that Jacob is triggered. He realizes that, 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 that this is where Jacob is and the thing that he intended to do, the reason he came that night to see Jacob, now he's going to have to accomplish it based on where Jacob is at. And so... This, this strange, mysterious man goes and he grabs Jacob's leg and he pulls Jacob's leg. Jacob falls, boof, to the ground. And Jacob's not a quitter. He's not a punk. He's going to get back up. He's not going to defend himself. Jacob, as this man knows, is fighting for his life. So Jacob gets up off the ground, rushes towards this, this mysterious man, and, and, and he tackles this man to the ground. And there they are fighting and wrestling initially for 30 minutes. And then for an hour. And then for two hours. And on into the night, they wrestle back and forth. Back and forth. And as Jacob is wrestling with this man, he can't help every now and then but wonder why he does not yet recognize this man. Nevertheless, he is there, though he is tired and exhausted, though he is scraped and bruised. Jacob summons up all the energy that he has to survive this encounter. Could this be his brother Esau? And if it isn't his brother Esau, again, is it one of his men? Is it some sort of enemy? Or is it the enemy? Or is it God sent someone to punish him for his past sins. Well, as the fight continues on, and it's, it's now showing evidence that on the horizon, the sun now is about to rise up. The day is about to break. This, this man realizes that he has, he has allowed Jacob to wrestle with him long enough, and now he needs to bring this wrestling match to a close, to an end. And so... He decided it's now time to do the thing that he originally came to do for Jacob. And so now he takes that same hand that he gently rested upon his shoulder, Jacob's shoulder. And now he takes that same hand and as a flash of light, like the bolt of an electric shock, he places his hand on, the, on his hip and he pulls his socket out of joint. And Jacob lets out a big, ah! A shout, a cry of pain as pain surges through his body. And it's in that moment that Jacob realizes that he's been fighting all night with someone who is more than a mere man. His mind immediately runs back to when he was on his way back to his father's land. And in the beginning of Genesis 32, he sees a, 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 a two, some angels on the way. And he says, oh, this is, this is God's camp, right? And so he remembers now that he named the place Mahanaim, God's camp, two camps. Because he saw angels on the way. 
which was, by the way, a hint of reassurance that God was with him on the way as he was about to confront his past. And he says, well, if this, if, if there were angels on my way and here I am, then, and this certainly is more than a man, then, then maybe this is one of those angels. And so as Jacob is there wrestling with what he sees to be an angel, he goes from fighting with him with all of his might to now clinging, those, though he's in pain, clinging to him with all of his might. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have wrestled with God in the midst of a personal crisis. And as you're in this personal crisis, you're wondering in your mind, is this intervention from God? Is this, is this, is this God? Or is this the enemy? What, 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 what happens? And what is God doing when his, when his intervention into your personal crisis looks more like hurt and not help? Have you been there? If you have, then I want to invite you to go Right back to Genesis chapter 32. Hope you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 32, digital or electronic. Or print, rather. <laughs> digital or print. And come with me, come with me. This may be a familiar story to you. But maybe you'll see it through new eyes. The Holy Spirit, I believe now, seeks to give us some answers as we now go back to the Word of God. Beginning in verse number 26. And I want to thank those that read the scripture earlier today, beautifully, beautifully read. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse number 26. If you're there, say, I got it. Amen. Some people got it. If you're there, please let me know by saying, I got it. Yeah, okay. We got a few more people that got it. All right, let's go to the word of God. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. This is the, what he sees to be an angel speaking. But he, that's Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. If you're familiar with this story, something significant just happened in that request. A request made from a place of pain. A request in a posture of clinging to this strange man or angel that he's seeing. I would say at least two things I would suggest to you is taking place here. One, Jacob's likely thinking that if this really is an angel of the Lord, then he's working for the Lord. And the blessing that he sought to get illegitimately through deceiving his father, hi Betsy, <laughs> called you out, the blessing that he sought to get through his father, illegitimately through deception, he may feel like, oh, this is an angel for God. He works for God. So therefore, I can now get it legitimately at, through this angel who may be a conduit of that blessing. Are you with me? And so then that leads us to the other reason I believe this request now surfaces to the front of his mind. 
Because this desire for a blessing is a big deal in Genesis and throughout the Bible. This desire for a blessing, the covenant blessing, was still something that he craved even though he got it illegitimately. See, he, he never felt like he truly got the blessing. And so in that moment now, rising to the front of his mind, he's retracing his story. Are you feeling this? He's retracing his story as to how he got, illegitimately though, the blessing in the first place because this represents the characteristic of his life up until this point. This deception and, 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 and manipulation and supplanting and deceiving and lying has characterized Jacob's life. And so now here he is, he's clinging and he's like, here's my chance to do something right. And so that brings us to this point, and this is my first point here. I want to let you know that when, when God is intervening into your personal crisis, he is seeking to break because this that Jacob is experiencing characterized not only his life, but it characterized his father's life. And it characterized his grandfather's life. There was a cycle of deception that was characterizing their lives, a self-reliant kind of trying to work things out that God said he would take care of on their own. This began to now kind of be embodied in Jacob. And so when God is intervening in your personal crisis, he's seeking to break generational cycles that have shaped your identity in order to lead you, number one, to retrace your story now in persevering faith. He wants to lead you to retrace your story. And by the way, your story has a backstory which goes back generations. He wants you to retrace your story in order to now lead you to do it, but with persevering faith. I'll never forget when I got the news that, uh, that my wife and I were having our first child, my son Tommy. It, the, the news hit me with great excitement and enthusiasm. I was very excited, but at the same time, I was, I was a little nervous. And the reason I was nervous is because my father had not been a regular, consistent, present figure in my life growing up due to a divorce that he had with my mother. And even, even as, as recent as this past Sunday, I was talking with him on the phone and I discovered that he didn't grow up really knowing his father because his father got a divorce. And then I discovered this was the big one that, that I took away from this past Sunday, that, that he didn't even know his grandfather to the point that he did not even know his name. He had met him once when he was a child back in the 40s. He was a short man with glasses, looked like he might be maybe losing his sight. And so what I began to discover as I'm retracing the story and the backstory with my father, I'm beginning to realize there is a cycle of fatherlessness in my life. And so going back to when I found out that I had a son, or that we were having a son, that the weight of that rested upon me when I understand this backstory now. 
And so I decided, you know what? No, I, I made a conscious decision. I said, I'm going to be a present father in my son's life. This is not going to continue on. I don't want this cycle to continue. But I also recognize that, that this guy, CJ, uh, it, it can't do that by himself. This brother CJ, if y'all got to know me real well, you know, our brother needs some help. Pray for him. And so, and so what I did was I said, I need to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. And so I made a decision because I was kind of in this habit, this practice of getting up and spending time reading and highlighting through scripture in my morning to connect with Jesus. I said, but I gotta, I'm about to be a father. I got to go deeper. I got to have a deeper experience. And so what I decided to do now is to persevere in faith through now, instead of just reading, I now take some time to meditate. So I go for a walk. I've shared this before. I go for a 30-minute walk. It gives me some exercise, but it also gives me some time to sit with, meditate on that which I had already read in the scripture that morning. So it has time to seep down into my being so that God can speak. You see, because I, because I needed to retrace my story and its backstory, but now with persevering faith. If I was going to expect God to break those cycles in my life, I needed a deeper experience in him. By the way, I was influenced by reading the story of Enoch. It was after he had his first son. I, I believe it was 65 or 75. It was then that the Bible says he walked with God for 300 years. And, and when you read the commentary, commentary on that in um, Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, it's the weight of, oh, I'm going to be a father, and wait a minute, God is my father. And, and so there was that connection that Enoch had. And so then he went on that deep walking with God, right? He deepened his relationship until he was not. And so that was what inspired me to take this step. I want to let you know that the Bible says, if you're familiar with the story there in Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, lets us know, as God is speaking and revealing what his character is like to Moses, uh, God says that the that the iniquity or the sins of the fathers gets passed on, not arbitrarily, but just as a, as a, 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 as a intrinsic consequence, right? It gets passed on to the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Yeah? And, 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 and what you see here in the story of Jacob is that Jacob represents now the third generation of deceivers. Because if you cycle back and look at that backstory, look at Abraham. Abraham had his wife, ooh, Sarah. And he got in a sticky situation, knowing that God had given him the covenant blessing. God was the one who's going to be faithful to keep his word, right, his promises. But he wanted to help God out, so guess what he did? When he gets in a situation, he says, hey, babe, just tell them that you are my sister, not my wife. Deception. It happens twice in his life. But guess what? The next generation, Isaac, is found in the exact same situation. What does he do? He repeats the cycle. He and Rebecca. And now he lies. She's my sister, not my wife. And here's Jacob. His entire life now, to the point, even his name is now embodying this cycle of deception. Are you seeing that? The third and the fourth generation. And so when this now happened, see, Jacob finally got to where God wanted him to be. I will not let you go. I'm persevering in faith now. I'm not relying on myself. I'm not relying on my deception. I'm not relying on my manipulation. I will not let you go. His clinging is an act of faith. 
until you bless me. I'm, I'm retracing the same place I was before, but now I'm doing it. I'm holding on to you because I know you're holding me. God is saying, if you want to see those cycles in your life broken, you've got to retrace your story. And you've got to now do it in persevering faith. He'll, he'll allow you to get back to that same place you were because now he wants you to do it with faith, trusting in him. He, he, you know, I want to recommend to you, number one, I want to recommend to you, my wife did this. It's been a big blessing in her life, Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com. Go back. Look at, your, look at your family tree. Put those pieces together. Do the back work. Look at the story. Look at the patterns. Get to know some of the people. Make some phone calls. I want to also encourage you, when you're at home, kind of set an environment, a safe environment, a grace-filled environment to share the stories. I can't say that strongly enough. Tell the true stories. Age-appropriate, but tell the story lest you handicap your children. That they can't navigate through because that thing is going to come right back around just like it did with, with Isaac. And with Jacob. And so when you tell the story, now tell the story, though, from a place not of judgment, not of condemnation, not of shame and guilt. No, from a place of grace, compassion, discovery and learning from past mistakes. His grace is sufficient. Tell the story so that they have the tools to be equipped. You're telling the story now, but you're telling the story based on how Jesus injected himself into your story and transformed your story and you're still in progress tell them that please don't give them the false impression that you've just kind of arrived and you're perfect they already know you're not by the way tell the story so that the cycles can be broken well God now wants to move or maybe as it looks God, yeah, God wants to move Jacob now to the next step so that the cycle can be broken I want you to come with me now one verse Verse number 27, the Bible, there in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse number 27. Here's what the Bible says. So he said to him, this seeming angel, said to him, What is your, what? Say that louder. What is your name? You can almost see Jacob looking up. He said, Jacob. Jacob. Now, it's important for you to understand right here that names in the Bible carry meaning. Names communicate character. Names communicate identity. And so in that moment, Jacob looks up and he says, though he's in pain, though he's clinging to him, he just said, I am deceiver. That's his identity. I'm manipulator. I'm supplanter. This is all in the name Jacob. Jacob. Right? What is God doing through this mysterious person? He's got to bring something else out of Jacob. He's got to bring him not just to retrace his story with persevering faith, but now God, see, he's intervening into your personal crisis to break generational cycles that have shaped your identity so that he can bring you, so that he can lead you to a place of being aware of and confessing what has been your identity. See, he can't help you until you admit, yeah, that, that, that's me. It reminds me of me when I was growing up, about, maybe about midway to high school, mid midway in high school, I was becoming apparent that I had a sleep condition. 
And it, 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 just, it just kind of permeated its way into all parts of my life. I mean, my academics in school, uh, it, my, um, hot work, work around the house, uh, jobs that I had, you know, um, my driving. Uh, it, it, just, it just worked its way into a lot of you know, parts of my life, and a lot of questions were starting to be asked. Uh, uh, but, 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 but I had this air of, of denial if there was anything wrong. You know, and then I met my wife. Well, how many of y'all know, husbands in here, or even wives, can testify that when you get married, things that you try to just kind of, oh, that's just out of, shh, shh. Oh, it comes out when you get married. Hallelujah. Hopefully you're learning about grace. All right? Transformation in grace. Hallelujah. And so I get, I, I, well, we're dating initially, and she begins to point this out to me, that, that there's something going on more than you just being tired, CJ. You need, probably need to go to a sleep center. And me, that kind of honestly chipped away at my pride, and I felt like it was a kind of a form of weakness. What are you talking about, DJ? I'm, I'm good. I just need to get some good sleep. I need to exercise. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Good. And she's like, mm, I don't know about that, CJ. It wasn't until we got married, shortly after we got married, that I finally, after she's been talking to me, we're married now, I said, all right, let me just put this concern to sleep. So I go and I get tested go to a sleep center, and I, lo and behold, I have a mild form of narcolepsy. It makes it very, very easy for me to sleep, and I was in straight denial. And, e, and, and then they said, well, you know, here's what you need to do in order to overcome this. This is what you need to do. You need at least eight hours of sleep. You need early in the afternoon a 20 to 30-minute nap, and you need some medication, or else you could be running the risk of, you know, some danger. But again, I continued on for years. I'm talking about probably seven years in denial of that condition. Not seeking to have a level of awareness to get the help that I desperately needed. Until we almost got in a car accident. My pregnant wife in the car. And at that point I said, sign me up. Let's do that sleep center thing again. Give me the medication. You see, I, I could not be helped until I was aware, put myself in a place of awareness, and confessed, which is basically just telling the truth about yourself in light of the truth about God. Just confess. Name it. Say, yep. It's me. It's me. And thank you, Jesus, that type of situation hasn't happened again. But I had to come to a place where I just said, yep, Jacob. Are you hearing that? You see, we need to get to a place where we can name it, where we can own it. There are things that have happened in your life. You've inherited some things. Are you you aware of that? Have you owned that? That there are some cycles that have been, are, are operating in your life? There are some things that maybe have been lying dormant, maybe in your genetics or things in your life that, that yes, but, but you understand that, that may have been what you inherited, but you understand that your environment, particularly your family of origin, your regular environments can often have a way of triggering things that are lying there inside of you. And they become triggered or awakened, and then you have now the choice, the weakened one, because it's something you inherited, and you have the choice whether to participate in that or not. And unfortunately, many times, what do we do? We continue, right, just like Jacob, in the cycle. We participate. And there are things that, yes, have happened that that were beyond your control. You were in the family 
that you're in because that was just, that was, that was what happened. Yeah? Uh, but we can't let that be an excuse for us to explain away that which is actually there. Like particularly what we chose to participate in. Jacob could not control Laban deceiving the deceiver. Yes? Okay? Let me talk about meeting his match. You know, Laban deceived him and he's the deceiver. Okay? Jacob couldn't control that. However, Jacob could confess, yes, I have participated in deception. I've, I've walked in the same cycles that my father and my grandfather have walked in. And he can own that and God can work with that. So we need to get to a place where we can just own it, confess it. It's okay. You bring that thing into the light of God's love, acceptance, and power because that's what it takes for him to free you from it. But there's one more thing that God now needs to do in order to fully, a powerful thing, don't miss this, that God needs to do to fully free Jacob from these generational cycles, beginning in verse number 28. Are you there? Are you with me? Hello, are you with me? Amen, uh, ceiling. Yes. Come on, stay with me now. Verse 28. And he said, your name. Mm, I feel like preaching now. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with, oh, you struggled with God and with men and have what? Prevailed or overcome. Mm. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me what? Your name, I pray. This is very interesting. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. He blessed him there. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me now. I may need somebody to come pull me off the stage in a moment. All right. You see, Jacob had a name that spoke to his character. Now, that name was given to him through the circumstances of his birth situation there with his twin. But God said, that's not your name anymore. No, no, no. I have a new name for you. I have a new character for you. I have a new identity for you. See, I needed you to retrace your story with persevering faith. I needed you to, to be aware and confess what has been your identity, but I got, guess what, a new identity for you. See, I need you to disavow that which you have allowed to shape who you are, who you think you are. And your new name is Israel. What does Israel mean? Israel means prince. A prince who prevails. An overcomer. That's who you are, Jacob. You are a royal prince who overcomes. Do you know who you are in Christ? You're a part of the royal family. You are an heir to the throne of the highest order, to the throne of the universe. That's literally your inheritance. You're a part of the new Adam and not the old one. You have a new identity in Christ. You have a new story. You have a new destiny. Do you know who you are? Because God is intervening into your personal crisis to break generational cycles that have shaped your identity by leading you to receive, by faith, his new identity for you. His new identity for you. How many of you grew up watching Ben-Hur, the movie Ben-Hur by Charlton Heston, same actor who played 
as Moses in the Ten Commandments, yes? He plays this character that's in the setting of first century Judea, right around the time, literally as a backdrop to the story of Jesus the Messiah. And this guy, Judah Ben-Hur, is a wealthy Jewish aristocrat who has a Roman childhood friend. And this Roman childhood friend becomes a prominent uh, 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 Roman soldier, kind of leading out there. I don't know what the official title is there in Judea. And he wants Judah to betray his nation. And when Judah refuses, he basically sends him away as a slave for years in the Roman warships rowing in the bottom of the ships for years. And Judah is crushed. Judah Ben-Hur is crushed. How could my friend betray me like this? How could he ask me to betray my nation? And there was a serious, fierce battle with the Roman warships and other enemy ships. And in the midst of this struggle, this battle on the sea, many of you may be remembering it right now because you've seen it growing up. The rest of you that are much younger, millennials and younger, you're kind of going, what? And he, in the midst of this battle, saves the life of another Roman official who previously did not like him. But he saves his life, and as a result, in gratitude, this Roman official frees him from slavery. This Roman official makes him his charioteer for the chariot races in Rome. This Roman official, again, forming such a bond with this Judah Ben-Hur character, makes him his son and adopts him. And now Judah Ben-Hur has all the authority of a Roman official a Roman elite. And there's a powerful scene where he comes back and he confronts his childhood Roman friend named Masala, and he's coming now with a new identity. He's no longer a slave. He has a new father now. Hello? And he comes walking that way. He comes with that sense of dignity because he has a new name. He has a new identity, a new father. I am no longer a slave. I'm not that previous identity. That's what's going on here in this story, and that's what's going on in your life. That's what's going on in your personal crisis. God wants you to come to the place where you know, do you know you're a son of the living God? Do you know your royalty? I don't care what kind of label they've tried to place on you. That's not who you are. Your sin is not your identity. Your generational cycles that you may have participated in, that's not who you are, not in Christ. You see, you act out of who you think you are. I'm going to say it again. You act out of who you think you are. So how do you act when you walk knowing that you are royalty, my sister? How do you act when you know that you're a prince, my brother? of the king of the universe in spite of whatever has traced your past. God gives you the Holy Spirit and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God breaks these generational cycles in our lives by giving you a new identity in Christ. He rewrites your story. You don't have to do what mommy and daddy did. You're new. You're a new creation. Lastly, I want to go with Go with you. This is why Paul says, if you go with me now, really quickly to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are a new creature, a new creation in Jesus Christ.
Go with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it if you don't have it in your Bible right now. But it's, it's, it's very, very key. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Look what, look what Paul says to the church. And this is, a, this is a really messed up church. You want to talk about issues. <laughs> read 1 Corinthians. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. Listen to the word of the Lord. Here's what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And if I stopped right there in verse number 10, you'd be discouraged. Some of you might raise your hand and go, ooh, out. Maybe you don't want to raise your hand. I've participated in some of this, but quickly rush to verse number 11. Watch this. And such what? Oh, you got to say that like you're a child of God. And such were some of you. That is not who you are. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Hallelujah. But you were sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. But you were justified. Declared right or made right. Accepted by God. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That's your identity. And by the Spirit of our God. That's what you were. And he's talking to people that have sinned after coming to Christ. You see, even after you stumble, that's not who you are. Hello? Jonathan Leonard online uh, broke this out beautifully. He said the entire time in the prodigal son story, that's how we call the story, right? The prodigal son. Do you know that in the story, Jesus never calls the son prodigal? He makes the reference, yes, he went out and did wasteful living, right? But he always calls him son. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he never once called him slave, which is what he wanted to come back as. Why? Because he was speaking about the heart of the father. From the father's perspective and from Jesus' perspective, even if you stumble, you're still son. You're still daughter. That's why he puts the ring on him and the robe and the sandals. You're my son. That means everything that I have is still yours. You've come back to the father's house. Do you know who you are? No, Jesus is not entering into your situation to hurt. He's always coming to help. Notice that there in the story, the moment he receives a new name, he now is interested in what's your name? What's your identity? He's still in pain. He's still in the midst of a personal crisis. But now his overall focus, his primary focus, his primary pursuit is I need to know him who gave me this new name. Because guess what? His new name is now in harmony with the name of the one who named him. Because guess what he discovers after he gets blessed? That he came face to face with God. And that you should allow that to blow your mind. He wrestled, punched, kicked, maybe got in a headlock. The God, the holy God of the universe. People have come into God's presence in Scripture in an unholy way and have died. But he's wrestling with God and he's amazed and in gratitude. He said, whoever's singing can come on up. <laughs> 
he, 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 says, he says that he's amazed because he survived the encounter. He came face to face with God and he says, my life has been preserved. I am saved. Jesus, God in human flesh came into human history over 2,000 years ago so that you can have an encounter with God and survive and live. And he goes to the cross and he credits you now with all of his righteousness, with all of his holiness, all of his perfection as a free gift of grace so that you can know that you are son, daughter. That is your identity. Receive that today and watch the cycle be broken. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.